Well, good morning. It is good again to see you this morning. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, as we open the Word of God together, and we are in this beginning of the year series. After today, next week, we will be going back to 1 Thessalonians and finishing that study out in the morning service, but we will continue this series that we started here uh, last week in the morning service and this week and then tonight we'll continue that series in the evening. Uh, and so I'm encouraging you uh, to spend some time here because it is important that we as believers understand the truths that are delineated for us here. And so uh, today as we are in James chapter 1, uh, we're going to spend some time here. And I mentioned to the elders a few moments ago that this is kind of a uh, a weird and awkward sermon, as it were, uh, for the preacher to give because the title is really How to Listen uh, to the Word of God. And so, how do you say that as you preach that, as you challenge that? That's what we are up against this morning, and that's what we will be doing. A research professor from Minnesota had teachers stop what they were doing mid class. And this was just about four years ago, to ask their kids to describe what the teachers were talking about just previous. You might imagine that wiggly, distracted first graders had probably not retained a lot of the information and had the toughest time on the tests. Yet, 90%, 90% of first graders and second graders gave the right answer. All their wiggling, all their moving, they gave the right answer. That is one of the reasons why we have our kids' bulletins that we use. Is it's wonderful to see kids uh, busy quietly, hopefully, uh, working through those things. And they are, while they seem to be distracted, they are able to retain far more uh, than you could possibly imagine. But the news gets more interesting. The test goes on. As the kids got older, the results plummeted. By junior high, only 44% answered correctly. That's a significant decrease. Just a couple years later, only 44% got it correctly. One in four, so only 25% of high schoolers got it correctly. The truth is, the older people get, the more their listening comprehension sinks. Making matters worse, studies show that people wildly overestimate how good they are at listening. Wives, you know this very well, right? We typically overestimate our capacities for listening comprehension. We listen, that is the most time that was spent in any given period of time. We spend it, the majority, listening, and yet we are not very good at it. In fact, plenty of studies examine this phenomenon, and while listening is at the core of most of our communications, the average adult listens nearly twice as much as he or she listen, or talks, rather, most people stink at it, the report says. Here's one typical result. Test takers were asked to sit through a 10-minute oral presentation and later to describe its content. This is adults. Half of the adults couldn't do it even moments after the talk. 50% could not retain anything immediately after a 10-minute presentation. And 48 hours later... 75% of listeners can't recall the subject matter at all. That does not bode well for my profession. <laughs> Preaching and teaching through oral communication is a challenge. And we understand it to be that. And yet, this is how God in His infinite wisdom and divine plan has determined to instruct us. And so how do we respond? How do we respond to listening? If there was any age, I believe it would be our age, where the need to understand and to have a message on listening to a sermon, it is here. It is this one. Because of all of the distractions, the cacophony of noises that you hear, the distractions that are on your phone, this very moment, the temptation to read emails right now, the temptation to check on the 
latest sports news before the football games kick off this afternoon. The temptation may be to read the news or to follow up with the text message that just came through. There is a tremendous opportunity for distraction. In fact, one of the great challenges and the reason that they believe that adults struggle so much with, leading, with listening retention and comprehension is that it only takes about, uh, about 25% of your brain to listen. And so the other three-quarters of your brain is trying to figure out the other things to do the rest of the day. And so you wind up not giving truly the 25% needed because you're distracted by the other things. That is where we are at as we come to James chapter 1. And I'm going to begin in verses 19 and 20, and then we're going to ask the Lord's blessing on our time in His Word. We're going to spend the majority of our time in verse 19, at least the majority of our application time here. The Scripture says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Let us ask our Lord's blessing on our time in His Word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you today as those who recognize the challenge of listening. Or there are many opportunities to be distracted. We see the distractions that come not only from our own personal lives and the things that we have going, but we've welcomed the entire world into our pockets, into our purses, and into our hands through our cell phones. We have instant access to information we want, and yet we have access to a tremendous amount of information we do not want. We're exhausted from trying to filter out what we want to see from what we don't want to see. And so therefore, when it comes time to listen, we struggle. We struggle because we are people with finite capacities. We struggle because of the cacophony of noises that are pulling us away. So Lord, I pray that in these few moments you would allow those pressing items, these uh, tyrants that are urgent in our minds, that they would be silenced, that we would listen well, that we would far exceed the 25% comprehension in 48 hours. Not because of the words or the style in which the message is delivered, but because of the word that is spoken is from you. May you receive the glory and honor. May you be the one exalted. May we give you that praise, even this morning, as we seek to understand how to listen to a sermon. So Lord, we love you, we thank you for it, and it's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen. As we begin, we first must understand in verse 19 that James is writing to those who have been in the dispersion. They've been sent out. And so James is teaching them to have teachable hearts. If you're going to listen to a sermon well, if you're going to listen to the Word of God well, you must be teachable. If you are to be reading through the entirety of Scripture this year, which I encourage you at some point, if not this year, that you would do that on some regular basis every other year or so, where you would read from Genesis to Revelation, read every chapter, every verse, every word of Scripture at some point throughout the year. And let's say that you are doing that this year. How do you listen to the Word of God? Well, in order to truly listen... You must have teachable hearts. And that's where James starts for us. And he helps us to illustrate what a teachable heart is by giving us three examples of things that we are to be involved with. And the first one is that we are to be quick to hear. We are to be quick to hear. What does this mean? This section may feel like a bit of individual exhortations. In fact, some commentators see James specifically James, is being somewhat similar to Proverbs where you get these little nuggets of instructions and they stand somewhat alone. Little exhortations for our benefit and our growth. But in fact, what we see here in James chapter 1 verse 19 is following up of verse 18. Go back to verse 18 and listen to what the scripture there says. It says, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. That is the scriptures that he's about to speak of that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. 
So when James writes verse 19, he's not writing this statement as if it's a proverb for us to follow. He's writing it in connection with what has come before it and what will follow after it. So there's a tremendous context here that James is trying to help his readers understand, and that goes all the way back, all the way through the rest of chapter 1. In fact, when he says in verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, for he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. He is referring back to the principles and the instructions that have been taught in the Word of God. And so now he's instructing his readers to listen to the Word of God. To listen well. James is calling for a proper response to God's Word. The Word of truth should invoke in us a response. And so when James says in verse 19, "...know this, my beloved brothers..." That every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. He is referring back to this word of truth that he's going to pick up again by the end of the next couple verses. James is instructing that every person be engaged. Every single person. There's not a single person in this room that's left out. There's not a single person throughout church history that is left out that is not to be listening to the instruction that Paul, or that rather that James is about to give. He again says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person, he's not trying to deceive us, he's being very direct, let every person be quick to hear. The word is intended to invoke this quick, quickness, is intended to invoke some sense of readiness as we come to the Scriptures. When you come before the Scriptures, there should be a heart of readiness already. The ground should have already been plowed, and you should be ready for the seed of the Word of God to be planted therein. This is an instruction that must take place. And so there must be something before the sermon, something before you arrive on Sunday, that you would be ready in a moment of self-reflection, I'm not going to ask you to answer this out loud. I want this just to be that permeating self-reflection. And in a raw sense of honesty, why are you here this morning? Why are you here this morning? It is assumed that the preacher prepared for today, right? It's assumed. I hope so. Did you prepare for today. It is assumed that the teachers in the next hour have prepared for today. Can the same assumption be made about you, your own heart? Did you prepare for the divine appointment with the Lord in His Word this morning? Understand, this is not to make us feel guilty. It's not trite. It's not in some way of kind of seeking to conjure up some sort of emotional or elicit some sort of response that would be moved or based upon emotion. But it is rather simply a call to something more. If you arrive on a Sunday morning, and by the way, Sunday mornings are difficult mornings, right? It's challenging. This morning you looked outside and with all of the sicknesses that are going around, and we certainly had its impact in our services and our leadership this week, you look at the sicknesses that have floated around and you look at a little skiff of snow outside and the cold and you go, yeah, I'm not quite ready for winter yet. <laughs> not sure I want to get out into this today. There's a million excuses Satan is actively seeking to distract and to uh, turn you away from being here this morning. But it's not just being here, it's why are you here this morning. And if he can get you to just walk in as one who has done no preparation to the soil, then you will be counted among the 25% of individuals who, after 10 minutes of an oral exam, walk away and remember only nothing. 
If I am to obey the instruction that James has said here, I and every one of us, we must come before the Word of God with a sense of expectation. When you come before the Word of God, are you anticipating that the Lord is going to be the one who is speaking? You're not hearing something in some closet someplace. The Lord isn't saying, thus saith the Lord to you. The Lord is saying, this is my word, obey it. That's to all of us. Are you devoting your attention to it? It may be tempting to catch up on emails and text messages or the latest news while you hear or while you listen to the message. Reluctance, though, at this point, will block the acceptance of truth. So if you're reluctant to be prepared, you must be ready then that the preacher's message is not going to permeate the heart. Years ago when I was helping farmers out in Kansas, and I remember coming to one ground, one section of ground that was being planted, and it had sats for two years, hadn't been farmed at all. The ground had gone fallow for two years, and out there they practice no-till, so they come right over the top and they plant over last year's crops. But because the soil had hardened in this case and had been allowed to sit fallow for two years, they had to run a disc over it to till the ground back in so that it would receive the seed. That's the work that we have to do because we spend six days away from the corporate fellowship. And so how do we do that? Well, James is going to help us with that as well. Notice in the next, he says, quick to hear and avoid rash responses. He says this in verse 19. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak. Avoid rash responses. Not only do we come ready to hear, but we do so in contemplation with restrained speech. Right now, you should not be thinking through the arguments as to why you're not going to be quick to hear. Well, I have all these reasons. I ha- no, 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 no. We are contemplating, we are restraining the speech that we are preparing to speak. The hearer who is slow to speak is one who does not miss what another one is saying simply because they're thinking of their next response. And you talk to these people, and maybe you are one of these people, while while someone else is talking, you've already contemplated what you're going to say, and you're about to say, you're just waiting for them to take a breath. As soon as they take a breath, because you don't want to be rude, you jump in with what you were saying, which is actually what they were arguing three minutes ago, but they just finally took a breath, and so you're going to bring the conversation back. When you are thinking through what you're about to say without listening, you'll catch bits and pieces But a continual talker will not only miss what the other is saying, but they will be forming an argument about the few points that they do catch. So they're already arguing, but they're arguing the wrong things. So when you're arguing, you're you're debating something that's already been addressed. And again, you've been in these kinds of conversations where you are engaged in conversation with somebody and you begin to talk. They've been talking for quite a while You begin to talk, and then they start to debate the points that they left off in their last breath with. They've missed everything that you've just said. Beloved, you do that, and I do that, when we are supposed to be listening to the instruction that the Lord has given to us. We will allow our minds to be distracted so that we will hear only what we want to hear. We will also be so distracted that we will miss what we must hear. A person cannot ponder what they hear and respond at the same time, says one author. A person cannot ponder what they hear and respond at the same time. So James is saying, be quick to hear. Slow to speak because you must have time to Hear it and ponder it before you speak. In fact, Proverbs says the same thing. Proverbs 18.13 says that to try to hear and respond is to, be folly, or is to do folly and, sh- and bring shame. 
So Proverbs has taught the same instruction. If you are doing this in everyday conversations, you are likely and almost assuredly doing it when you have come before the Lord. If you catch yourself going into a conversation that you should be listening to, you're probably doing it when you're studying your Bible. And you're probably doing it right now as you're to be hearing the Word of God. Are you a hearer or are you thinking about the next words that you want to say or the argument or the next thing that you need to do? James continues, we're going to be addressing this issue of preparing the soil more this evening and in a few minutes again some more, but in order to prepare the soil, our minds have to be engaged. Our minds have to be engaged. We're ready, we're responsive to listening. We're not trying to get in a word edgewise, we're listening. And we are slow to anger. This is an interesting one, and one that I'm going to confess I misunderstood for many, many years. Because I took it as, if somebody is in a conversation with me and they say something that offends me, and I have reason to be offended, I should listen all the way through before I make a rash judgment. And while there may be an element of that that lies in this statement, that's not what James means. At least not specifically what James means. Notice again what he says, and keep in mind what we have already studied. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. What does he mean? As convicting as the other two statements are, or have been, this one is likely going to be harder to digest for us. The hearer, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. The word for anger is as convicting as it is enlightening. It means a state of strong displeasure. I would agree with that, right? Anger is a strong displeasure, and I'm going to prove it. I'm going to show it. I'm going to uh, let you see it. Maybe in the temperature that's rising in my face, the color in my face changes. Maybe, uh, maybe the, my tone changes. I am displeased. But it's specifically referring to the emotional state of doing so And as James is using it here, it is pointing to the kind of response that happens when you have been confronted by your own sin. So when Scripture confronts you, how do you respond? We see this played out on a grand scale all the time with politicians. They're confronted in a lie, or they're confronted in something that's taken place. We've seen it certainly, obviously, this week and all the things, the revelations that have been made this week. Well, it, 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 was, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. I don't know those people. I didn't do that. That's what James means by slow to anger. That would be the opposite of what they're doing. When you are trying to justify yourself. When you become instantly angry, and maybe not so expressive as in the emotional state, you don't see it necessarily so much physically, but in the emotional state, suddenly you go from calm to defensiveness. How dare you tell me I can't do that? How dare you point that out? How dare you tell me that my habit or my practice is wrong? That feeling that you get the moment somebody proves that you are wrong. And you are still going to hold to it as if you are not. That's what James is speaking of. Let's not do that. Let's be slow about that. Let's let Scripture speak to us. When the preacher says something we don't like, we don't shoot the messenger. (laughs) When... The Word of God says something we don't like. We allow it to change us. We allow it to mold us instead of that resistance 
and that pride and that defensiveness. Because, and it's interesting to me how James ends this. Verse 20, he says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I find it fascinating that he didn't qualify any of the other two statements. The two that had come before this, James doesn't say anything in qualification for those. But when it comes to this issue, he says that the anger of man, that the anger of people, does not produce the righteousness of God. That defensiveness, when you stand against the statement that is being made that Scripture is clearly speaking to and it's convicting you on, when you say, no, I'm not going to listen to this, I'm going to stand opposed to it, when you stand opposed to the Word of God, you are not producing the righteousness of God, you are producing sinfulness. This kind of anger misses the mark of God's righteousness. And it does not produce behavior that is pleasing to the Lord. It does not produce behavior that is pleasing to the Lord. So what does this mean? A believer must bring a teachable heart to the fellowship on Sunday morning. When you sit at the table of this fellowship, your heart has to be teachable. On Monday, when you do your devotions, which you should be doing your devotions, spending time in the Word of God each and every day of the week, bring a teachable heart. Don't come with preconceived notions or ideologies. Allow the Word of God to convict you. Be slow to speak, slow to stand in the gap and fill in any quietness that you may sense is there. Be slow to anger. When the Scriptures confront your sin, let the Scriptures confront your sin and be teachable. Be quick to hear. Because, we're going to jump out of James for just a moment, keep your finger here because we're coming back, and turn over because there's something that we also must have. We're going to explore this more this evening, but for now, let's go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. As we are to be those who have discerning minds. Now there's a a war, a struggle that we engage in. Okay, so we're supposed to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, but we are to have discerning minds. And that means to have discerning minds. Paul tells us at the end of the letter to the Thessalonians, the first letter to the Thessalonians, he says this in chapter 5, verse 21. He says, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. That, too, is a direct statement. Test everything. You are to be testing everything that is said and spoken from every preacher you listen to, from every podcast that you listen to, from every source of information that is filtering through your ears. You should be testing it. But there's a tension that exists where Paul says, test everything, but how do we to do that and both be teachable and discerning? Is it possible for the believer to be teachable and yet discerning? And the answer is absolutely yes. But you have to get out of the way. Your pride has to get out of the way. The believer must be, in fact, we're required to be, we're commanded in Scripture to test everything and to be teachable. Nevertheless, while these two things do exist, they're not at odds with each other but we can make them to be. So let us define discernment. Discernment is not suspicion. That's not discernment. You've come in and you're suspicious. You're looking for the gotchas. Trying to navigate, ah, this is where you've erred. Discernment is not suspicion. Nor is it hard-hearted arrogance. I have the answers. You don't. Or vice versa. You could be sitting here this morning and saying, Ah, see, pastor, right there. 
but doing so in a hard-hearted arrogance. We're going to see the definition of the opposite in just a moment. It's very easy. We fall into this. This is where we typically go. If you are one who calls yourself discerning, then typically you say, yeah, but I know better than everybody else. Let us be very cautious. You are to be discerning. Everyone is to be discerning. But you're also to be teachable. Discernment is not suspicion. It is not hard-hearted arrogance. Nor does it give you a reason to not be teachable. If the Word of God is spoken, you must be teachable. In a consumeristic society, the hearer often feels the right to be the judge and the jury of a preacher's message. Well, I didn't like the way that he stood when he said this. I didn't like what he wore. I didn't like the style of his hair. didn't like his shoes. I didn't like the tone of his voice. I didn't like the way he convicted me. I didn't like the way he didn't convict me. You see, we live in a consumeristic society and the hearer feels as if there is the right to be the judge and the jury of everything that takes place in the church. However, this is not what a faithful hearer ought to be. This is not what we ought to be doing. Instead, we are required as hearers to humbly submit to Scripture. The question is not, what did the preacher look like today? The question is, how did God's Word change me today? How did God's Word change me today? And you may say, well, and I've, trust me, 25 years of pastoral ministry, this has been said many, many times to me. Pastor, you're just not reaching my needs. And my answer to them is, is your heart prepared to hear the Word of God? Because there will certainly be seasons where you feel as if, when you come to the Scriptures, it is, it's just dry. I'm not where I need to be. But the question is not, can the preacher reach me? The question is, how do I prepare my, my heart to be the soil where the Scriptures will be implanted therein? We must be those who humbly submit to the Scriptures. And we must understand that it is the Scriptures that are authoritative, not the speaker. It's not me that's authoritative. I'm simply the messenger. It's not your elders. They are simply the messenger. And they should be heeded, and they should be listened to, because the assumption is, and it should be held out all the way through, that they are prepared and equipped to present to you the Word of God. However, your heart must be prepared to receive it as well. And so that is where we find a specific group of people who are my heroes in Scripture. We don't know their names. We know them by a title. And they are the Bereans, the Berean example. Let's go back to Acts 17. Acts 17. If there is a hearer in Scripture for you to follow, it is one of this number in Acts 17, verse 11. In Acts 17, verse 11, listen, we'll go back to verse 10. Paul and Silas have made it to the town of Berea. This is after, by the way, and since we're studying Thessalonians, uh, in 1 Thessalonians, this is after Paul has been in Thessalonica. And remember, he has been removed from Thessalonica relatively early. He started his work there, and then opposition has rose. And Paul is going to speak of those in his that have been in opposition to him. And Luke is going to record their opposition and how those in Berea had received the word better than those in Thessalonica had. Not the church, but the unbelievers. And so here in verse 10, the Scripture says this, of Acts chapter 17, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. After all the grief that had happened in Thessalonica, 
Paul and Silas, having been ushered out of Thessalonica in the middle of the night, they arrive in Berea instantly going back into the very people who had accused them and accosted them in Thessalonica. And they received Paul differently. Notice verse 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. These Jews did not come with the bias of Judaism and Judaizers. They came with the desire to be found faithful. Because of them, you and I have a faithful example of listening to a message and following through. They, this is the Jews in Berea, received the word that had been preached, that is the scriptures. They'd received the scriptures with eagerness. They did not have hidden agendas or doctrinal traditions that blocked them. They didn't seek to protect those traditions at all costs. They were teachable. They were teachable. And they continued to prepare the soil because they examined the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So they did not come to the gathering at the synagogue on Saturday as a blank slate with all kinds of biases and all kinds of challenges that had risen throughout the week. They came to listen, and then they went home to study. They came to hear, to go home, to obey. They sought to examine the Scriptures daily. They, unlike the Jews in Thessalonica, were in humble submission to the authority of the Scriptures. And it drove their teachability to a place of earnest quest to humbly test and discern. It drove them to open up the pages of the Word of God and see if these things were so. Not to disprove these things, but to prove them. Not to hold it against Paul and Silas. They were not looking for the gotchas, but they were looking for accuracy. And they were not arrogant, but humble. They were not argumentative, but rather filled with humility, even to the point of giving up what they thought that they knew and following after Paul's instructions. Notice verse 12. Many of them, therefore, believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. What was the result of these noble Jews in Berea? They had studied the Word of God. They had listened. They changed their opinions. They dropped their traditions. And they believed. Now these are unbelievers coming to Christ for salvation, but it is also true of believers that we would do the same kind of things as the Bereans. They are held as the noble example. And regardless of where you're at in the Christian walk, you are to follow the example of the Bereans. Listen to what the Scriptures say. Be slow to speak and be slow to anger. Let the Scriptures convict and confront. The example of the Bereans should be our example. What do you do when you disagree with something that you've heard from God's Word? This is another application question. What do you do when you disagree with something that you've heard from God's Word? Many people may come to their pastor. They may go to YouTube. They may go to podcasts or Facebook to ascertain certain answers or to pontificate in what they think they know. It is rare that people will intensely study the Word of God. It is rare 
as someone will open up the Scriptures again and study what the Scriptures really say. How do you listen to a sermon if you're not willing to engage with the content of the sermon throughout the week? This is what our small groups are built on, is that the small groups would prepare the soil and and help those who are in attendance begin to have hearts ready to receive the Word of God so that when it is spoken, they'll be ready to hear it and they'll be ready to discern. They'll have teachable spirits, teachable hearts, because it is required of you to be teachable and discerning. Discerning, again, is not some kind of gotcha. Been looking for it in some arrogant statement. That's usually what gets put on Facebook. Got him. Gotcha. These are things that we should avoid. Or we'll heap to ourselves teachers who have taught the same way we believe. And we'll pull it all in and say, ah, here's what we believe. Did you study the Word of God? Because if all of these teachers disagree with what God says, then you followed the wrong crowd. And worse, you've made your heart hardened to the implantation of the Word of God to take root and bear fruit. So two quick things that we must do. Going back to James. James helps us now. We understand that there is work that we must do in having teachable hearts and discerning minds. That's what, how we engage throughout the message. But we have a responsibility before the sermon even starts, before the sermon, to prepare the heart. Notice what he says in verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. If you have read 19 and 20, and you come to verse 21 as if there's nothing for you to do, go back and read 19 and 20. James just called us out. He just said, how did you arrive here today? He says, therefore, put away filthiness and rampant wickedness in order to receive with meekness the implanted word. If you are challenging the word of God, you've listened to the first two verses, but you say, ah, I'm already doing that. I must be, I must be the best listener in the room. And somehow you've gotten through to verse 22, you're probably going to skip it if you feel that way. You're going to read through and say, ah, there's nothing for me to do here. No, indeed, there is. Let's define it. We must be those who have prepared the heart. There is work to do before the sermon in order to, quote-unquote, receive with meekness the implanted word. The word receive is the main verb. Everything else is controlled by the main verb here. And it refers to a hospitality for the word. It is as if you're receiving a visitor from a distant place and you are showing them hospitality. In order to show them hospitality, at least this is the way it works in my family, when you receive the phone call or the email or whatever it is and whatever form of communication you receive, that the visitor is on their way or going to be there in a couple days, you start preparing your house, right? You want to make sure the sink's not full of dishes. You want to make sure that the floor is swept, that the bathroom is kept clean. You want to make sure that the guest room is clean and free of cobwebs that have accumulated since the last time they visited. You will do some house cleaning before the guest arrives. James just used that word to describe how you're to receive the Word of God. Do the house cleaning. Receive it. Receive it as if you're receiving with great hospitality a welcomed visitor. And here's what you must remove. James gives us a cleaning list. We must remove filthiness and rampant wickedness. Filthiness 
is anything that is moral uncleanliness. Moral uncleanliness. This is everything from what we may consider as small, average, everyday kinds of sins. We should never consider them as such, but we do. These small things, too much larger things that would catch the attention of the news media. Everything in between. Moral unfilthiness must be removed for you to welcome in uh, the great visitor with great hospitality, the Word of God. And wickedness refers to evil in general. There's one side of this word that it could mean as doing harm to another, but it seems like the weight that James is putting on it, and most of Scripture puts on this word, is that it is referring to any evil, any evil that exists. If you came this morning angry because of the way that the person in front of you stopped or didn't stop at the stoplight or stop sign, that is hardening the soil for the implanted word. If you came frustrated at your family because of the struggles of trying to get here on a Sunday morning, not confessing, uh, it never happens in my home. (laughs) If you come with a heart that's less than prepared, you need to spend time preparing before the sermon. Before the sermon. We need to be those who are hospitable to the word. To be hospitable to the word requires that there's going to be some weeding that's going to take place in our lives. It needs to be done. To humbly and hospitably receive with meekness the word implanted in us. We must put aside all of the filthiness and wickedness. Spurgeon writes this. He says, we are told men ought not to preach without preparation. Granted. But we add, men ought not to hear without preparation. Which do you think needs more preparation, the sower or the ground? I would have the sower come with clean hands, but I would have the ground well plowed and harrowed, well turned over and the clods broken before the seed comes in. It seems to me, Spurgeon continues, that there is more preparation needed by the ground than by the sower more by the hearer than the preacher. This is difficult work. This means that Sunday morning is not just something you show up to, something you prepare for. This is difficult work. It requires diligence and a heart of worship. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As believers, as unbelievers, we must be those who confess our sins, receiving Christ as our Savior. But as believers, we also must be those who confess our sins so that we would be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Not for the sake of salvation. If you know Christ is Savior, once saved, you're always saved. That's not what John is saying. He's saying there is the the need for sanctification in the life of the believer. That we don't just walk in in all of the filth and all of the disgustingness of the world and assume that the Word of God is going to penetrate all of that, break it all up, and send us home clean. We allow the Word of God to be implanted in us to prevent that kind of thing. To prevent coming in that way. And we want to listen. We want to, before the message, we want to be those who have hearts ready to receive it. Otherwise, you're going to find all kinds of distractions. You're going to be sending text messages. You're going to be distracted by where you would rather be. You're going to be distracted by all kinds of opportunities. We must, before the sermon... Prepare the hearts. We must be hospitable to the word. So what do we do after? What do we do after? When the sermon ends, does the sermon end 
at the final amen of a service. And as the preacher, I would say, I hope not. (laughs) I hope that you are not counted among the 75% who in two days can't remember anything that was spoken. Trust me, I've, when especially as a younger preacher, I had agonized over that. How do I become more relatable? How do I reach into those that sit before me, whether it be in person or online? How do I penetrate those hearts? And I began to realize that that's the Word's job. The Word of God does that. James helps us. And we're going to study more of this this evening. When the sermon ends, the real work begins, and it works in the ending of the sermon and the preparation for the next. Verse 22 says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We are to receive the word with meekness, rather we are to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word. And not hearers only. Because a hearer only deceives themselves. You come in. You sit among the fellowship. You sing the songs with boisterous enthusiasm. And you leave here unchanged. You are not deceiving the people who sit next to you. They may be fooled, but the one who is deceived is you. The sermon actually is just the beginning. It's the launching point. It's the point in which we start. The hearer who hears only has only deceived themselves. You've short-circuited the message for your own benefit. Hearers must be doers. Hearers who fail to do are self-deceived. Hearers who are slow to hear, quick to talk, and rapid to anger are self-deceived. Listen carefully. Satan is happy with a believer's church attendance as long as they merely hear the message and forget to be doers. Satan has no problem with you being in church attendance as long as you only hear the message and don't apply it. When the sermon ends, the real work begins. And James gives us the illustration of this. We're going to study this more tonight. So this is where we'll be this evening. So we understand verses 23 and 24. He says, If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. James knows the challenges of being a hearer who's also a doer. And he helps us by painting a picture of the opposite, a hearer who looks into the mirror, or is like one who looks into the mirror, and all of the night's matted hair, bad hair, baggy or sacks under our eyes, bags under our eyes, all of the things that have to be adjusted before we actually are presentable to society. <laughs> And it's as if this hearer walks into the midst of people and has changed nothing. They've looked into the mirror, they've seen with clarity what they should do, and they walk away and they forget about it. And someone may say to them, as they are walking into a fellowship, did you look in the mirror this morning? And they would honestly say, yes, The question becomes, what's wrong? Why didn't you fix it? Why didn't you take the image that you saw in the mirror 
and run a comb through the hair. Brush the teeth. Why didn't you take action? Since James knows the challenge, he reminds us that the hearer only looks into the mirror and walks away, forgetting what they saw in the mirror. And that seems to us as silly, ludicrous. Why would this ever happen? If you were to look into the mirror, would you not make corrective actions? If you could. (laughs) Why would you not make corrective actions? A hearer will instead respond to what they hear. They, like one who sees in the mirror, will take corrective action to be a hearer and a doer. Hearing a sermon requires action. It requires action. The context of this text is to describe the blindness that unbelievers have. They are like the hearer who looks in the mirror and walks away and does not do. But James is also calling us who know Christ as Savior to response. What should we do? He provides us a sample. A sample that is important. To provide us some context. That when we come to church, when we come to fellowship in the corporate gatherings, we are to be those who come prepared, ready, and equipped. It's not so much about what you wear. It's not so much about the music that you like. It's not so much about what has happened this week. And it's not so much about coming to church all the time with all of it being put together. That's not what James is saying. James is saying is no matter the condition of the heart in the moment, are you ready to receive the Word of God? It may have been a brutal week. It may have been exhausting and depressing. You may come in here ragged and beaten up. But is your heart ready to receive the Word of God? Those things are separate from what James has said. James is not saying that you have to have it all together to come into the fellowship. What he's saying is when you come into the fellowship, are you humble? Do you have humility? Will you listen? Will you be slow to speak? Will you be slow to anger? Will you be one who will be like the Bereans? who will examine what you have studied, what we have studied together, will you be one who examines them in the Scriptures to see if they are true? And if so, will you go and do likewise? Tonight, we'll pick up the second half of listening to a sermon. We're going to go to Hebrews primarily, Hebrews, and then we're going to return to this passage here in James. But as we do so, we are building the case. We are asking the question, what do we need in 2024? What does the church need to do? Remember last week I spoke of the eighth generation that is beginning to come onto the scene. We'll start to come onto the scene in 2025. What do we need to implant to them? What do we need to give on to them? And we better be, in this age, those who listen to the Scriptures well. So that as we're listening to the scriptures well, we teach another generation how to listen. And we teach them how to listen with the capacity of doing, not just hearers only. Let me close this time in a word of prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you, grateful for the example that we find here in James to give us the renewed vision of moving beyond just a casual observance. Lord, James has called us to be doers, not merely hearers. Lord, in this society, it is so easy. We're so distracted. We have the best of intentions, but we'll leave here and we'll be bombarded with the events that have to happen this week. 
bombarded with lunch plans, bombarded with family needs or crisis, bombarded with whatever other challenges will come into our lives. Lord, I pray that we would be those who diligently seek after you, that we don't let the sermon stop at 10.45 a.m. on Sunday morning, but that we would live it out, that it would just begin. Lord, we've trusted that the preacher has come prepared. I pray that we would also be those who are diligent in preparing our own hearts to be those who would receive your word with truth, that we'd be humble, that we'd be submissive, that we'd show great hospitality by removing the cobwebs that need to be removed. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for what we have studied this morning. We ask that as we respond in singing, that our voices would be united with our own hearts, that the testimony that is spoken through our words would be the way that we truly enjoy and fellowship with our Savior. And we ask that your name would be glorified as we conclude this service now. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.